Hello and welcome to the Small Business First podcast. I'm Lucy Kippist, the editor of Flying Solo. With September fast approaching, the end of JobKeeper is on our minds. In the episode, I talk to Sally Farrow, the General Manager of Paramobility, a manufacturer of assistive technologies who has a unique experience in shifting her business during COVID. But first, I'm joined by Sess Busby, editor of Koshi's Business Builders, with a small business news wrap of the week. Welcome, Sess. Hey, Lucy. Nice to be here. Nice to have you, as always. What do you have for us this week? Uh, New South Wales is in the news. Not in a good way, though. (laughs) Anything good at the moment? (laughs) No. But in terms of New South Wales, Premier Gladys Berejiklian has really issued a pretty stern warning saying the community needs to remain alert and vigilant because while cases, um, the case numbers are stable, although I wouldn't think 18 to 20 cases a day is great news, she says um, at least the state is continuing to hold the line. But she said um, that really relies on Um, being able to effectively contact trace and at the moment there's a number of accumulated new cases that there's no direct links which is um, quite a cause for concern and several of these new cases um, obviously are linked to Tangara they don't know where the Tangara school cluster has come from there were two more cases reported today at the moment that takes it to 19 cases just from that cluster which was first reported um, Thursday last week so like in a matter of days it's grown to 19 cases Mm. and they that case um, they still haven't confirmed the source of that case although they suspect that it's probably linked to a study retreat the school um, some of the school students had gone to a study retreat overnight which obviously is something that no one should be doing no. and the premier's really stressed that you know schools can't be doing that we've really got to be um firm about maintaining things like social distancing and good hand hygiene and wearing masks on public transport or any cases where we think we might not be able to be socially distanced to be wearing masks and that if people don't kind of wise up and she doesn't see an uptake in in people doing the right thing, then she's going to have to mandate this kind of behaviour that, like in Melbourne, mask wearing masks will become something that you have to do. And if you don't, you'll get a fine. And if things don't improve, then we could be facing restrictions again. So people really need to get that message and think about that and do the right thing, stay home when they can, stay COVID safe, and think about the effect of what you're doing. Like, it's, is it worth it going out to a, to a route about the town or whatever, willy nilly with no mask on when you when there's COVID in the community that um, they can't trace at the moment that that they don't know where it is. And she's basically said, just assume that if you go out, that anyone you could be coming in con- into contact with could have coronavirus and so you need to act accordingly uh what's next next up next up there's some quite interesting stuff that's come in from the Grattan Institute they released a new report yesterday saying that 
the real way to a speedy economic recovery is to make sure that we have affordable childcare so that we can get working women back at work. Um, and they've suggested that the government should fork out some extra money for a scheme and that if they were to do so, it could potentially add $11 billion to the GDP per year. Um, it's, the report says that a childcare subsidy, like increasing a childcare subsidy for low-income families, um, would mean that people could pay less than $20 a day per child for childcare and that um, their suggestions that they're making would mean no family would be worse off, everyone would be better off. And without doing that, then at the moment, because of a range of policy, cultural and social factors, um, it's really difficult for women to get back into the workforce because it's it's disincentivized. There's um basically they end up working two two to three days a week, um, possibly for free if they're the primary carer of a child, um, mm. because. Um, they're forking out the money that they would make on a wage on childcare at the moment. So it's a scheme that also the Australian Small Business and Family Enterprise Ombudsman, Kate Carnell, has got behind the report and she's saying there's really a very clear case, economic case for affordable childcare, um, that the government really needs to think about that. And that, you know, especially when 38% of small businesses are owned and operated by women and that number is continuing to grow. So lots of these women are mums and they rely on childcare to get to work. If we want these businesses to get back up and running, we want um, the people that are surviving on JobKeeper to get through to the other side of this, then childcare fees need to be affordable. That means... This feels yeah. like a conversation that's well, well overdue. Yeah, definitely. There's um, another group that's um, off the back of this research, um, sent out a press release yesterday saying, you know, they want um, free childcare, which I don't think the government will actually go back into, even though they did prove that it was possible by providing that free childcare during the initial stages of the coronavirus crisis. But um, there's a lot of businesses have signed that petition that they've put out as well, saying we should be getting free childcare. Yeah, definitely. It's something that should be talked about because um, that it is disincentive for women in particular to get back into the workforce because the cost of caring for their child is too much. Okay. So watch, watch this space on that issue, hopefully. Yes. And what's the third item? The last thing is Business Australia, um, which is basically uh, the Small Business Council. Um, they've created a new online hub to provide COVID-related information to business owners. They said they were getting a lot of calls that used, they used to be the New South Wales Business Chamber and then they became the national organisation. So now the Business Australia and they've just been inundated, as you would think, with calls from people going, what do we do and where can we get advice and how do we take up, you know, the, the most of the government offerings like the JobKeeper and the stimulus um, packages in terms of loans and stuff. So they've set up a whole new coronavirus hub where you can get all of this information and they've got a stimulus advice line as well, which people can um, access to find out more information about 
um, the support for business owners across all of Australia. So they have details about what's available for those in Melbourne who are obviously still experiencing um, the worst of it with level four restrictions and those in Victoria with level three, advice for people in New South Wales about how to be COVID safe and all that kind of stuff, things about workers' permits. It's a bit of a one-stop shop. So um, good to check out if you're in small business, which I'm assuming most of our listeners are. Yeah, absolutely. Watch yeah. out for that. Yes. Yeah. Thanks so much for that. And um, we look forward to chatting next week. Hopefully some better yes. news within the next week. I hope so. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Lucy. There's plenty to say about COVID life, but in particular, it's been most fascinating to see businesses who have been reliant on physical interactions pivot to remote environments. My guest today is Sally Farrow from Paramobility manufacturer of assistive technologies who has a unique experience in shifting her business model through recent times. Welcome to the SBF podcast, Sally. Thank you. It's lovely to be here. Could you start by telling us a little bit about Paramobility and your role at the business? Yeah, thank you. Yes. Uh, Paramobility really has the proud heritage of designing and manufacturing Australian-made assistive technology, predominantly for the disability sector for the last 35 uh, years now. Uh, the type of assistive technology we produce is patient lifting and moving equipment for people with a disability or with a, an acquired injury or maybe coming out of hospital to their home um, or those that, who've lost some mobility such as the aging population and they're needing some more sort of further support. Essentially that means on a practical level that we enable more independence by allowing people to get in and out of their cars, um, in and out of their hydrotherapy session or to get in and out of bed and all for many Australians you know their happy place in and out of their home pool. <laughs> uh, as the general manager my role really is to lead our really customer focused team to success while instilling that really strong values oriented business principles that really underpin our organisation. I think many business small business leaders will agree that managing through this uncertainty has certainly been a unique experience, um, endlessly challenging uh, needing to be dynamic and adapting almost daily to the needs of our ever-changing team and our business environment. But probably lastly, uh, when you put the customer experience at the centre of everything we do, it really makes for a satisfying and fulfilling place to work at Paramobility, knowing we make a real difference in people's lives and their independence. Certainly sounds like um, a terrific company to work for. Can you explain a little bit more about the types of customers you work with? We're lucky enough to work across a lot of different customer groups uh, who range from everyday Australians, so people with a disability, a physical disability, or with limited mobility, such as national disability insurance scheme participants, uh, or aged care clients, all the way through to allied health professionals, design professionals, and, and working with the construction sector. So it's pretty broad. Yeah, it's quite a varied cross-section there. Absolutely. Importantly, um, our Australian-made products really meet all the access and inclusion compliance requirements of the Building Code and the National Construction Code. So we work closely with architects and access consultants in the planning phases of any built environment that is required to be accessible, which is becoming more and more um, important these days. So some of the some of the really nice examples we have are uh, we have equipment in SeaWorld on the Gold Coast uh, for the dolphin experience, allowing people with in wheelchairs to be able to swim with the dolphins. How, how great is that? Wow, that's great. Yeah, on, we also have equipment on wharves at sailing clubs in, in Victoria and Queensland. We scoped up the Commonwealth Games village a few years ago to ensure that the para-athletes had appropriate support in the village while they were staying there. 
And also, uh, we, we love this one. Um, there's many hotels that have got our equipment in it. Um, the Western Hotel and the Ritz-Carlton in Perth. And one of the one of the nice ones, the Western Hotel in Brisbane, um, is Australia's first accessible swim-up bar. So, <laughs> <laughs> wow, it's going to be popular. Absolutely, and importantly, a large part of our business really is meeting the assistive technology needs of everyday Australians who can now live their lives with choice and control through access to the disability, the National Disability Insurance Scheme, the NDIS. Great. So, paramobility obviously has a really crucial role in terms of helping the, your customers live um, better lives. Can you explain to me how you're able to keep track of and manage those kind of relationships? Absolutely. Uh, really importantly, every interaction with every customer we deal with on an everyday basis is tracked in our CRM, which is Salesforce. Um, we, we really call it a hit by a bus concept. Uh, it's a little dark, I know, but uh, it really centres around the goal that anyone in our team should be able to pick up from where you were last working with a client and run with it immediately, again, at any time, if, you know, God forbid, you got hit by a bus. Um, for our direct-to-customer groups, we really believe our role is to reduce complexity for our customers. Uh, assist, uh, accessing assistive technology can be quite a complex process to approval, so we need to make sure that all of our systems are set up so that we can manage uh, those complex stakeholder relationships. For us, having clear, real-time data and all the important information captured at all times, um, you know, all our key stakeholder accounts linked, the clear next steps, it's really important so that if a customer comes back to us, anyone in our team can help them at any time. We also have, uh, where possible, we try to work on a first call resolution basis, um, which ensures that we can simplify the customer interactions. We don't want customers to have to have five or seven interactions with us when it could have all been solved in the first interaction. It's really a good customer experience. We have a dashboard set up in our Salesforce with a really sort of quick click to refresh any information at any time in real time from anywhere, um, which is really important. All of our accounts are categorised by the sector they're in. So we know if they're an existing or new business opportunity. Uh, we know what their total sales are. We know what their conversion rates are. We know what their rough time frame to purchase is, which really sort of helps us enable better forecasting for the business. We certainly weren't always this way. Um, we embarked on a digital transformation so that we could serve our customers more effectively and, and subsequently uh, reach more people in future. This has really enabled us to grow, but it's also ensured that um, in these strange sort of COVID times that we have been able to operate successfully through this you know, remote working environment without a backward step. And how important was it to you that Paramobility maintained its operations through the COVID, um, the lockdown, or well, the first lockdown anyway? It was so important. Our, our team's concern really was firstly around our customers' safety and, and their independence. Uh, we needed to be there and operating in that lockdown period to continue you know, to provide employment for our people and, and also to ensure that our sort of life-enabling equipment got to our customers. So essentially, the first thing we did was we assessed every customer order at the time of lockdown and rated them in terms of viability to deliver. So did they need it or was it a nice to have? And for us, essentially, we then had to contact them to confirm that. So if there were, say, a construction site that was a nice to have and maybe they weren't ready for occupation, we, we asked and negotiated with them to push out some timelines. 
that we could then prioritise the customers such as the National Disability Insurance Scheme customers who were quite vulnerable in their homes so that we could ensure that we could get the product to them faster. Great. And with this in mind, how were you able to ensure that Paramobility was able to continue to offer the same level of excellent service to its customers? Yeah, that COVID lockdown period really gave us a quite a rare opportunity to stop and, and reflect on the fact that, you know, normally we, we might have been doing too much each year, spreading ourselves a little too thin, which of course uh, impacts a bit of customer experience. April to June really is normally packed for us with trade shows across the country, which is often left, you know, our customer service teams or our sales teams a bit bare and potentially overwhelmed. So what we really wanted to do was simplify and focus. This really allowed us to focus on great customer interactions and then also focus on the quality and speed of delivery from from our manufacturing teams to our customer. Uh, So we really wanted to deliver that better level of service to our customers in lockdown. Some of the um, examples of what we managed to do was we improved our customer order delivery time from around four to six weeks to our customers to one to three weeks. Wow, that's a big jump. Absolutely. We we also looked at our quality assurance scores. They went from 95% um, to 97.6%. The next step we did was really around, we improved our customer satisfaction, our net promoter scores from 65.6 to 72. So really it was around ensuring that we uh, offered a much better level of service because we were simplified and we were focusing on the things that mattered. Always such an important thing and particularly something that that focusing on what matters I think has been probably one of the only upsides of the COVID situation in terms of doing business is that it's all forced us all to Absolutely. really focus on that. So the concept of of pivoting has been really popular in the conversation at Small Business First over the last few months. What are some of the pivots that Paramobility has had to make? Certainly. The first one, of course, was safety of our people and our customers. Um, So we did the immediate switch to work from home where possible for all of the sales, customer service and finance teams. Um, Obviously, our systems allowed us to do this, being on Salesforce and Xero. So that was an easy one, thankfully. Uh, our manufacturing team obviously still had to be in place, so we worked on skeleton staff there. Probably the next pivot we made was around our product mix. Uh, it was really important for us to reassess immediately how we could be efficient and have the chance to, uh, for our business to survive throughout this uncertain time. So what we did was look at fo- uh, ma- focus on manufacturing the most efficient products with the least resources that had the least contact with customers to deliver to the most customers in need. Oh, that's a bit complex, that one. (laughs) Another area we looked at was increasing the volumes of our demonstration stock. Because we couldn't physically go out to customers anymore and customers couldn't physically turn up at our offices or our distributors, we had to then look at how many more demonstration stock we could viably put out uh, across Australia and freight it to customers safely so that they could physically trial the equipment at their home or with their occupational therapist if they're allowed um, rather than being able to physically go to a a pool or a hospital um, which they've been able to do previously to trial equipment. The next switch was really uh, across to digital uh, wherever possible without those physical interactions and being able to physically go to someone's house or them come to our office we needed to look at how we could uh, walk them through the product via a video call for example. We looked at how we could do virtual assessments via video of a construction site, for example, to prepare equipment for 
uh, so that we could install at a later date once uh, assistive technology had an essential services listing. Then once we had clients that had product into their homes or their businesses, we were then able to deliver the training via video instead of physically face-to-face. -face. One of the areas probably in the marketing space we looked at was with the absence of physical trade shows and conferences, which normally would have been quite prevalent in that April to June period, we looked at how we could start preparing a virtual kiosk, so a video virtual kiosk, instead of physically attending a trade show and seeing customers. You touched on data there. Um, how important do you think it is for organisations to leverage their data, especially at you know, times like these? Having the real-time data is, is so key. It's, it gives you the ability to be responsive and certainly gain the visibility uh, very quickly to what you need. The data really gave us our visibility into the pipeline of opportunities for us so that we know what we have in the bank, I guess you could say, mm. um, which couldn't be more valuable at an uncertain time like this. Having all this data really has allowed us to uh, have quick reference via dashboards. Um, so we've got dashboards of information at our fingertips. We can track the progress of any opportunity or our entire key business metrics at any one time in real in real time. You know, so we're all you know we're all trying to navigate these uncharted waters at the moment. So you know, any opportunity to keep afloat was important, right? <laughs> and we really believe that you know if you have the data, you have an opportunity. And if you have an opportunity, you know, really want to make the most of it. An example of this was councils for us. Um, we were able to listen to what our customers said, such as councils, and they were saying that in the lockdown period, they were going to focus on maintenance and accessibility in their aquatic centres, for example. So because they were forced to close to the public, they were able to spend their budgets on maintenance. So what we did was look at all the opportunities, look at all the data in our Salesforce system, and look at all the opportunities that were open for other councils and get in touch with them and provide them with some of the insights that other councils had provided to them and see if that was something that they wanted to do as well. So, you know, get accessible while you're closed. So probably one of the last things as well is around uh, the importance of great data. Um, great data ensures that we can give our customers a great experience and, and having happy customers obviously really helps promote a happy and motivated winning team. Um, you know, one of my favorite outcomes of capturing great data about our customers is that our team are often thanked for following up with them or checking in with our customers, which is it's quite rare, I'd say. I believe it's because we are able to create value for them. We can provide them with further information or expertise that really helps make their lives easier. And, and it's all done with a really positive interaction. Um, we always know who we need to check in with and, and, and offer the solutions that best uh, suits their needs. So, you know, that's a pretty nice culture to work within. And, certainly helps motivate the team come to work every day. That's a really interesting um, perspective. And I think the fact that, you know, um, that focus on continuing on to different aspects of work that in a normal time, inverted commas, you wouldn't necessarily have the time to focus on is, um, is really important there. You've spoken a lot about how you've been able to continue to serve and in many cases, improve the level of service you're offering your customers. What processes have you put in place to ensure you're continuing to grow the business and identify any potential new customers? Certainly, yes. As I mentioned before, uh, we really gained some great improvements in that quality assurance scores, in our customer satisfaction scores, and our order lead time to customers um, has been really phenomenal. But that was mostly impacting existing customers. The next bit is probably the hardest, I guess. We were going to have to look at how we were going to replace our pipeline of opportunity to plug the gap that was missing from, say, the trade show channel 
which is where we get all our new, new leads from. Uh, we essentially had to look at how we were going to replace, you know, millions of dollars worth of potential opportunity that would normally come through those channels. So uh, one of the first things we did was we put together a nothing is too crazy or out there brainstorming session for the team. Mm. Um, and we had so many great ideas. It was really a nice collaborative uh, team sort of um, session to look at how we were going to uh, plug those gaps. So, for example, we looked at, you know, one suggestion was to look at influencers uh, in the disability sector. It's not something we'd ever done before. A really great idea. Mm. We looked at scoping or appointing ambassadors in the disability sec uh, sector to get the word out further and to help practically sort of educate and inspire others. Um, we looked at our Google AdWords and what was happening in our digital space and looked at is there an opportunity for audience replication, which is finding new leads out there that look similar to the current leads that come in through our Google AdWords channel currently. And then, as I mentioned before, you know, we did, um, we looked at filming, you know, virtual kiosks. So it could essentially be like a fly around of a trade show without physically having to be there. Wow. That's a clever idea. Yeah. So in terms of, you know, we, we really felt that, um, you know, that simplify and focus was, was really key, but yeah, finding new, new leads has probably been the, the biggest challenge overall for the business. Definitely. Um, you mentioned there, you know, doing a team meeting like that where you're focusing on a new way of looking at work. Obviously, COVID has also inspired um, employees and employers um, a whole way of looking at developing new skills and technologies. What are some of the new skills your employees have had to learn and how have they gone about learning them? In terms of really practical changes, we've all had to do a lot of cross-skilling uh, and share our workloads to pick up responsibilities. At one time, not all of us were working throughout that period. Um, but in our manufacturing team, for example, we've had our welders who make the equipment learn more about the assembly and packing and dispatch areas. They've had to cross-skill there. One of our senior managers didn't hesitate to pivot straight back to his old operations manager role to support and lead the manufacturing team through this uncertain time. I mean, how amazing is that? Mm. Our sales and customer service teams essentially had to merge some processes. Both had to learn each other's areas. For example, the customer service team were cross-trained on the first response uh, and sales calls inquiries um, and um, involved in adjusting new sales uh, email templates. I guess the customer service team then had to learn the entire quoting process from the sales team and they were trained on how to put together formal quotes. Um, the sales team really has had to help on the frontline customer service as well as queries had increased from existing customers, but sales had actually dropped off. So overall, uh, in relation to team culture and, and learning new skills, I, I, would have, I would say it's been a really positive for the team to appreciate each other's roles and really see those in the team um, that actively chose to step up and take on more in such uncertain times really great. Yeah, it sounds like a really positive response. I mean, there's some excellent um, ideas that you've listed there. So obviously, we've all had our own experience with what working remotely is like. But how have you found the shift? Um, and particularly in regards to how you've kept your employees satisfied and motivated while they're not in the office? Remote working with the right tools has has made it easy, of course. Um, everything is mobile in our business, apart from our manufacturing. So, you know, we've all been able to work from, you know, the kitchen bench or next to the kids doing their schooling at home or in the backyard or, or, or at the cafe if needed. Um, and in many ways, we've found um, this remote working to be uh, promoting sort of efficiency working at home. 
there's less meerkatting, which is my term, <laughs> which is um, popping your head up over the top of the desk to check something with someone else. Yeah, and then, you know, that, that actually creates a bit of efficiency working from home. You know, we've got um, chat um, or ideally we've got our great data in Salesforce that ensures that um, you don't need to meerkat over the top of your desk or, or message someone else that the answer should all be in our Salesforce system. Um, what we found is really, you know, if you genuinely care and you take time to connect with the people, um, you know, not, normally we did it face to face and now we only ever really do it over the uh, other end of the phone or a video call or email, but it really helps to build connection to our customers, which really in turn provides sort of a satisfying team culture. But some of the fun things we did was uh, to motivate the team was we, we had a fun game of remote working bingo, you know, similar to what mm. is corporate uh, jargon bingo, similar to that. Uh, it was essentially a grid to check off um, and who was the fastest to finish it uh, with covering things like, you know, the last time you saw a coworker in person, um, the last time someone sent an animated GIF, um, the last time you said, sorry, I was on mute. <laughs> on <your meeting. laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> Yeah. Um, the, the, the last time you had a meeting interrupted by a pet or a family member or the last time you joked about how long your commute was. So good. Yeah. And probably one of the most important things I've found throughout this time for the team has been around remembering to celebrate success. Um, mm. It's absolutely so, so important for your team culture when you're working remotely, when they're, you know, at, particularly at the time when there was very little light in the darkness there for a few months. Um, yeah. But yeah, not forgetting to celebrate success and really acknowledge your staff, even if it is remotely. You raised some um, great points there, Sally. Thank you so much for sharing your insights with us. It sounds like paramobility has really, you know, taken to the, the, the adjustments in COVID with absolute um, motivation and enthusiasm. Thank you for coming on the podcast and sharing all of that with us. Thank you kindly. Appreciate it.